the last 24 hours where I feel like there's a lot to be mad about. One thing made me very angry beyond like the rationality of everything else that has made me angry about sports. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus is rebooting The Mighty Ducks hey. as a TV show. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, The Mighty Ducks, according to this release, are going to be the villains of the TV show. What? So the way that the plot is, The Mighty Ducks have become the patriots of Minnesota hockey. Okay. And... Lauren Graham, uh, Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls kid, is on the team and gets kicked off the team. So Lauren Graham and the kid have to go form their own team to take on the Mighty Ducks. So the Mighty Ducks, since we last saw them in the late 90s, yes, have turned heel and have swept through the Minnesota Hockey Youth Association <laughs> And turned into villains. Yes, they're the worst people. So they're, they're the villains from the first movie, but it's now the Mighty Ducks. So my first question is, who asked for any of this? I think everyone is having nostalgia for the Mighty Ducks. And the Mighty Ducks, as you may or may not know, the Mighty Ducks 1 and 2 are the exact same movie. In Mighty Ducks 1, Emilio Estevez is, um, gets a DUI. <laughs> can't play minor league hockey anymore and so they sentence him to be a youth hockey coach for the worst team in the league okay i follow that i yes. remember during the 90s there was a whole string of like restorative justice films where instead of serving hard time you just have to do something that's kind of quirky related to your life or the crime yes. you committed okay so he ends up beating his old mentor and coach in the finals and they win minnesota hockey mm, mm. and then he goes and plays minor league hockey and he gets hurt, comes back home, and they decide that the Mighty Ducks, with a few other players, are going to play in the Youth Olympics. So it's the same team, and then they add a couple guys. And they have a great scene at the beginning, probably the best scene of the franchise, where they get the band back together of players, and it's in Minnesota. So they're like roller skating through the Mall of America, going all around Minnesota, like really a great bring the band back together moment. Mm, mm. Um, Emilio Estevez gets full of himself because he is the face of this team, gets really into sponsorships, ends up dating the rival in this movie, which is the Iceland team. (laughs) Because they were like, it was like 94, they were like, we don't know how to deal with Russia yet, so we're going to make Iceland the villain. (laughs) That's wholesome as hell, I love it. Led to the moment where he's out on a date with the Iceland coach, and the Bash brothers, the bad guys on the Ducks team, see him. As she is saying... No, Greenland has a lot of ice, and Iceland is very green, which led to everyone knowing about Greenland and Iceland. See, that's that's the one thing out of all of this I can't accept the most, which is that is the moment that that eternal meme was sparked. Yes, it was in Mighty Ducks, Emilio Estevez and the evil Iceland hockey assistant that's... coach. Huh. Anyways, they go on to, to beat Iceland. And then I don't know what happens in Mighty Ducks 3. It's awful. It's a really terrible movie. Uh, Emilio Estevez is no longer the coach. He has to like come back and like advocate for his players. That's like when they started doing a bunch of the Airbud films that didn't make sense. Yeah, it, it was, was like there. They're like, I think we've r- ridden this Mighty Ducks train as far as we can. And then it, it but no, in the like the <laughs> dustbin of nostalgia to be pulled back out, only then to. <laughs> it's so weird that they're evil, but I almost kind of like it. I just I feel like some forward-thinking executives at the Disney Plus division. And Emilio Estevez is going to come back, apparently, in this... I guess he's going to be the evil guy, which makes sense because his brother is, in real life, Charlie Sheen. 
I would love to see a Charlie Sheen cameo. And Emilio Estevez, I don't think his star didn't rise too high that they couldn't say, hey, come back for this. <laughs> I'm sure he and his agent were ecstatic about the call. Well, welcome to the Denverse. I'm Derek. <laughs> I'm Quinn. And I wish this was the worst thing we had to talk about today. <laughs> uh, we're going to start up in Boulder, Colorado, which is never a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, last night, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, it was announced that Mel Tucker was leaving the University of Colorado to go to the University of Michigan. Nope, just Ooh. Michigan State. Yeah. Michigan State Spartans. I'm sure they're a university, but... Yeah, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people in East Lansing who are upset at that, but for most of us outside of the Big Ten, we don't know anything about Michigan State. If you're a Michigan State fan listening to this podcast, please stop, because we don't want you to listen anymore. We I don't hate know, you. Yeah, well... I'm a, well I don't hate anyone who's been rooting for Michigan State, <laughs> but now, yes, you are. Uh, you have quickly risen past Jazz fans, Blazer fans, and now the least liked fan base is Michigan State for us. Well, and Fast out there I mean, saying. it's not like the country loves them. You have the Larry Nasser gymnastics thing going on at Michigan State. Th- that's that is a thing that hasn't been brought up in the salt pile that has grown. It's like Michigan State has had a terrible time in terms of its a- athletic department because even before then, like, D'Antonio and uh, the basketball coach were caught up in scandals of player sexual assaults getting swept on the rug, which, I mean, honestly, CU has had that too. But fact not, is... Not recently. Not, not recently. <laughs> <laughs> like, not any time in the last decade and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Mel Tucker... I understand why he left for several reasons. Mainly that, from how it's being reported, the SEC and the Big Ten have all of the college football money. And then the Big 12 and the ACC are, like, behind them. And then the Pac-12 is last of the Power Five conferences. And so one of the things for Tucker is he can get more recruiting money, he can fly on private planes, he can pay his assistants more. All fine. What I have a problem with is he has spent the last week telling us how much he wanted to be CU's coach. And clearly he didn't. Like, as of yesterday, he went on a radio tour. He went to three different radio shows, two both on KOA, the flagship of the Buffs, and said, I'm staying. And then he left. That He told Rick George, the athletic director, I'm staying. Rick George went and had back surgery. And the first Rick George <laughs> heard of this was last night when their, his agent called and was like, yeah, he's not coming back. Jeez. Um, so uh, I just want to... Slow down the whirlwind real quick. So, for like the past almost two decades, Michigan State has had one of the most consistent, okay football programs led by Mike D'Antoni. Not to be confused with, I'm sure, a cousin from the old country, Mike D'Antonio of the Houston Rockets. But Michigan State has been like the... I'm pretty sure you got that backwards. I'm pretty sure you just... I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did. (laughs) Anyways, Mike D'Antoni is the coach of Houston, the Rockets. Yeah. Former Nuggets coach. Mm -hmm. And Mike D'Antoni is the... Wait. No. D'Antoni. D'Antoni is the coach of Michigan State. Was former coach. Yes. He left a couple weeks ago. All right. Well... Out of the blue. Sorry about that. No. I haven't I haven't had to be well-versed in my Michigan State coaching tree because they didn't mean anything until early I, this morning. I saw Michigan State pound on Stanford in the Rose Bowl like six years ago. 
Yeah, so that well, was annoying. They've been a certainly better than any of the Pac-12 teams, but they've always played second fiddle to Ohio State and Michigan, and even sometimes Penn State and Wisconsin and Wisconsin. So they're like a middle of the road team in a great conference, led by former coach. I won't even try that again. Um, <laughs> led by a solid coach, but he's like gotten older, and last year was supposed to be his, no, next season was supposed to be his last season, but then he got upset that Michigan State was moving forward with looking for coaches, so he didn't quits abruptly. And then all of a sudden, it's funny, because in this fray, there's two Colorado coaches who were um, brought up. One, Mel Tucker, and also the Broncos' new Offensive coordinator Pat Shermer was also in whispers like, oh, let's get him to be the coach. And there's so many rumors in sports, but especially college sports, about who could be considered a coach that I didn't take it that seriously, especially because CU just had like, we were ready to throw a parade for Mel Tucker to just get into a bowl game. That in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about him really being a leader of men in one of our episodes is called Winning in the Weight Room because that's what he said. That's how Mel Tucker and the Buffs beat rival Nebraska. Is that the dude was just building a cool culture. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is so hard is that like he said all the right things. He talked about integrity, commitment, uh, the buff way or something. I don't think that's what he said, but it was something like that. <laughs> and it was all a lie. He was he convinced Katie Nixon to come back for a senior year rather than go to the draft two weeks ago. Yeah. And now he's gone. And he signing day was last week and he committed to all of these players last week. Like I, it's fine if you want to leave. Like I get, I mean, I have another thought about this, but if you're like, you know, CU is not the place for me. We understand that. CU has been a down program for basically 20 years at this point, but it's not it's not okay to lead everyone on like this for a week. Like it just shows like if you want to say you have integrity, commitment, that's all out the window. That's when yeah. I've seen a lot on social media. It's like if you were asked to do the same job for double the money, of course you would take it. And I get it. It's really just the character that he has built at CU versus the dude who just hopped on a private jet to East Lansing, Michigan are so incongruent, and it just happens so fast. It's, we, we understand college football, of any place, is strictly business. That, I think we've mentioned before, like 47 out of the 50 top highest paid state employees in any of the states are the college or basketball coaches. We under, college football or basketball coaches. So we understand that, there's so few allegiances, but it's just it was just one of the scummiest way to ways to go about it. Yeah, he did this whole radio tour. If dude just stayed silent, didn't post on Twitter. Yeah, like, don't tweet. I'm here, relentless. Yeah, hashtag let's build it or whatever. Yeah. That we would still be butthurt, but we would be less entitled to our butthurt than we have right now. And I mean, the other thing to me, and this is the bigger picture view of this, is that. I think with Mel Tucker leaving, we've come to the realization that CU is never going to win another national championship. Like, CU is now officially a stepping stone job in a way that we have been denying for years because Hawkins and 
McIntyre could have left earlier in their tenure and decided to stay and then got fired. And Embry got fired after two years. So it just felt like even though it had been, again, almost 20 years since they had been relevant in college football, this was still a destination job. And that is over. The Pac-12 doesn't have the money to compete with the other conferences, which means CU doesn't have the money to compete with the other conferences. And to me, that means the national championship is as out of reach in football as it is in basketball. Um, which brings me to who I think the Buffs need to hire in the next thing. They need to hire a guy that wants to be at CU no matter what. Like, they need to prioritize loyalty for the long term over hot coaching candidate. Like, you can't get a guy that can't coach because we saw what happened with Embry. Like, clearly just being terrible isn't enough to keep a guy. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, to me, loyalty at this point matters. And the best example of that is what Tad Boyle's done. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any more thoughts on Mel Tucker, but I want to turn to Tad Boyle. Well, I would just say second. they named Darren Cheverini the interim head coach, who he's like a longtime CU guy, was the receivers coach, who was promoted to, like, if there's assistant head coach. He was like the next in line guy, promoted by Mel Tucker. And he kind of wondered, did Mel know... When did Mel realize, like, oh, this is a real thing for me that I'm about to leave? And did he put anyone in place? But it seemed like from Cheverini's tweet early this morning in response to the news that Tucker left, it was something like, we don't have space for the weak and timid. Which it just seemed like he didn't even let his coaches know. Yeah, the players, they were like, the first we heard about this was last night on Twitter, which yeah. is not how you want your players to find out, like, and I think, yeah, Cheverini, I like him. I don't know if he can coach because he was co-offensive coordinator and he got demoted at one point. Like, But he has been with the program basically for 25 years on and off. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe he's the guy, you know. I, I was listening to Dave Logan earlier. I interned with Dave Logan, um, so I know him, and people have brought him up. And he was basically like, listen, they're never going to hire me. And I think he was he was probably the right hire in the Embry slot. Like that was maybe when you take a chance on Dave. Mm -hmm. um, but it's well with Cheverini, I hope that he well like even in one year with Mel Tucker that he learned some of the recruiting because Mel Tucker was not the world's greatest X's and O's coach, and they might have lost a few games because of um, that yeah. lack. But he was an amazing recruiting guy. And there's some people who have been looking for, like, best Thai places in Boulder, Colorado, who are now doing those searches in East Lansing, Michigan, because he's probably going to poach a few of his recruits. Um, I hope that he feels the need to unretire three CU great numbers, like he, or three Michigan State greats numbers like he did at CU, because that was his last move as head football coach, is he unretired three of the four retired numbers to give to recruits, and then he left, including Byron Wizard White, the Supreme Court Justice, who also played basketball and baseball. Wow. Yeah, so... It, it's, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Derek. He knows so many things. Um, well, I'm just... I mean, obviously, I'm a buff. Yeah. I have... I have said before that I would be fine if they got rid of the football team, and it's because of stuff like this. <laughs> um, but I do think on the other side of this, like, Someone that does care about tradition, care about building a winning program. Tad Boyle has 
is having an up year. He's up to 16th in the polls. Last time there was 16th was unfortunately when Spencer Denwitty got hurt and ruined that season. But, um, you know, they have the top offense in the league. They have the second best defense in the league. And just the integrity of the program. Tad Boyle has gone after the people like Sean Miller, Arizona's coach, and uh, infield, USC's coach, who have been playing players. Like, he has called them out on it. He has said he wants to stay here and has turned down bigger jobs. And I think the biggest example of what Tad Boyle has built happened on Saturday. Uh, CU was playing Stanford. They were down almost 20 points going in the second half. It was just really atrocious. Uh, they were starting to have a comeback. And then Evan Batty, the favorite player of Buffs fans, and it's the first time Buffs fans have ever had a favorite player who is not the best player, <laughs> just beloved um, also had a seizure uh, his freshman year when he was redshirting, and we didn't think he was going to get to play again. Came back. He's just, you know, a big bundle of joy. He goes in for a one-on-one layup. Uh, the guy gets called for a foul. He elbows him in the head. The guy goes down, like, he's unintentionally. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember what his name is right now. Uh, goes down. His head splits open. He immediately gets knocked out, and, like, the place goes silent. And Batty cannot regain his composure because he's so upset given everything in his past. But Tad Boyle, after a couple minutes, after making sure everyone's okay, calls McKinley Wright, who's their star point guard over, and was like, get all the players together and say a prayer for this guy. And so McKinley Wright gets all the Stanford players, gets the Stanford coach over, gets all the CU players on the court. They all cuddle at uh, half court and say a prayer for this guy. Tad Boyle comes over and is in the huddle. And you're like, this moment is not about sports, but it also shows you what the integrity of a program is, having respect for mm-hmm. your opponents and your players. And it was just a really profound moment. And to contrast that with what Mel Tucker did this week is just kind of incredible. It's, I mean, yeah, we've talked at length about like why we love sports and all the ways that it's not about sports. Something as beautiful as that and like, so often you can't do, you have no idea what's going to happen in the game but when something goes so right even in a terrible situation like i mean that's beautiful theater and i'm not saying that to diminish the very real situation and prayers up to that player and um happy to know he is all right to the point that he can play again um yeah i mean tad boyle's in a position now that he can Colorado's never been a basketball state. Like, football has always reigned supreme. But this is a situation where we want someone to lionize so bad. And, like, I could definitely see Tad Boyle, if we were able to make a deep run in the um, March Madness, it'd be so cool. Like, the Coors Event Center at Tad Boyle Court or something. Yeah. I want to see a statue. When I went to the University of Florida, they had – Four Heisman statues. And the, the t- Tebow one, of course, was everyone was taking photos with it. But, I mean, that's the type. You're very right in saying that the CU football program will probably never have another glory days. That we'll be so excited to win a 7-5 and five season, like a bowl game in Idaho or something. But if Tadboy is able to stick around, I think, yeah, the recruiting will only expand in the Pac-12, because right now it's kind of a two-horse race with CU and Oregon, and if they're able to stop Arizona from paying players, 
there's just a lot of space for a lot of goodwill for Tad Boyle and the CU basketball team. Yeah, and I just want to say the the Stanford's player's name is Oscar De Silva. He's their best player. Uh, he's probably out until at least the Pac-12 tournament. So mm. hope, hope he recovers. Um, well, let's let's move on because I, honestly, I could be mad about Mel Tucker. Just the way he handled it, he can leave. Just don't handle it this way. Yeah. Um, I hope he steps on a Lego. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we've been off for two weeks. Um, the Denver Nuggets had a really crazy two weeks in that time. So you want to just, let's just run down real quickly how we feel about every <laughs> one of these wins. Every, okay. The Nuggets were shorthanded for all of these, but uh, they beat the Jazz 106-100. That one was here. Yeah. With, um, wait. Yeah, you're right. Because we played the Jazz twice. <laughs> I yeah. Forgot. So, yeah, I mean, that was the most, uh, that feels like the most normal game that they played in this stretch. Uh where classic nuggets they were down they were trailing for several moments through the course of the game but turned on that nug life magic that they've had all season and just performed well down the stretch and i think that was a big one where uh donovan mitchell was locked up by craig and yeah, Harris. that was, I mean, Craig Craig and Harris really showed, you know, what they could do, and, uh, you know, I mean, Jokic has been crazy for the last month, but that was really where we were like, how how can he keep doing this? Mm-hmm. And he did. But it was nowhere near as impressive as the next night when they beat the Milwaukee Bucks, 127-115. Oh, yeah, this was a back-to-back, <laughs> like, one of the fastest turnaround. And you're just like, they deserve to lose this game. Yeah. So, Nuggets beat the Jazz at home. Solid, solid win. Then hop on a plane late at night to get to Milwaukee to play the absolute best team in the league right now, the Milwaukee Bucks. And started out terribly. They were trailing 16-4 to at the top of the quarter, uh, first quarter. And and you just thought they can take a night off. Like, yeah. they beat the Jazz, this is a fine game to lose. Yeah, I mean, scheduled loss, if ever there was one. Um, and it was one I was, like, listening on the radio driving back and play fourth fourth place. It's like, why do I do this to myself? I had no expectations that they were going to do well. And of course they're not doing well, but lo and behold, what happens, Derek? They come streaming out, have Jokic has his best quarter of all time. (laughs) Uh, and they won. They won. Yeah. I think, uh, season high in threes made. Yeah. And that's really like Milwaukee has, done all season they absolutely punish you not giving you any chance to get to the paint and um defensively just disrupt the game flow but they allow you to take threes and that's how they've lost almost every game but it is really hard especially in milwaukee to get in a rhythm where the whole team can hit threes but everyone was (laughs) yeah i mean it was really impressive and really just third quarter from Jokic just propelled them again Mm -hmm. which was kind of the story of the week um, but then they went to Detroit two days later and lost in overtime. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, this magical streak has ended. I mean, it was, that's, if you like plan for a scheduled loss, you didn't know where it was coming, but I mean, they played a late game against the jazz an East coast. Oh no, I guess that's central time. Yeah. But, but, but to your point, Malone said like, you know, it hasn't been like four days. It's been like 36 hours of games. Yeah. 
And they played a weird Sunday, a Super Bowl Sunday game against the Pistons in the early afternoon. Yeah. It was 10 o'clock in, uh, Mountain Standard Time. And they just, they finally looked sluggish and tired. And uh, Detroit, a really poor team. It fit the narrative that the Nuggets played poorly against bad teams, and they sure did. Yeah, I mean, they did, you know, tried their best, and they made it to overtime, but it wasn't it wasn't enough. Yeah. Uh, then they made their big trade deadline moves. Um, they traded away Wancho and Vanderbilt and Beasley. Mm. After Beasley had a couple great games during this stretch. Yeah, you phrase that. Like, Beasley was the big... Yeah. Beasley, uh, oh, that messed it up too. <laughs> but yeah, we they traded three of our bench players. I think Beasley was the one that people were most upset at. Like Hernan Gomez had disappeared all season, but then he had a really solid game in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing was like, so they did this to clear cap space. They ended up getting uh, a couple players. They traded Shabazz Napier immediately for Jordan McRae of the wizards who apparently can shoot some yeah it was an interesting thing one well they traded three players and poor shabazz napier before he could like fly to denver they traded him again so um nuggets reddit made a whole memorial to <laughs> the um undefeated <laughs> shabazz napier while he was a nugget had an absolutely crazy stat line um, well, in his defense, everyone who's on the Nuggets right now is still undefeated as we're recording this yeah, podcast. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting because like, the Nuggets have been the deepest team, but it, there's been chemistry issues because you don't have enough minutes for all these guys. The Nuggets got, got rid of three guys, got back three guys, and a late round fir- late first-round draft pick from the Rockets, which is super interesting. Yeah. I give Conley a lot of credit. They helped make the Rockets possibly worse, or they helped make the matchup better for the Nuggets because Clint Capella would wreck the Nuggets in the pick and roll. As great as Jokic is, he just can't defend a super athletic big man. No. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. I thought I take out of that like they got rid of competition on one front, got a first round draft pick for Beasley, and got. Decent dudes for Wancho. Yeah. So I like a lot of people were upset about it. It was weird. Kata Bates, Diop, Jordan McRae, and Noah Vonley are not guys who are going to put you over the top. Which we were talking about. Do we get Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal? Although there was never a point where they could have drafted for Bradley or traded for Bradley yeah. Beal. We wanted like a big splash and got kind of a horizontal. Yeah, return. and I mean, the best part about this is they have no salary committed beyond the season to these three guys, mm. and they're going to have some tough decisions to make in the off season. So they got rid of three guys they probably weren't going to be able to keep anyway, and so I think that that was the best of the... Yeah, and I don't think there were any confirmations that heard that both Beasley and uh, Wancho had requested trades at some point during the season. Well, I think after, because they, they tried to sign them both to extensions, and it didn't work, yeah. and so I think that... that so they go into Utah shorthanded. Seven players can play. Yeah, uh, because the uh, it was weird though. The three players we traded were gone, but the three players that we traded for had not yet arrived. Well, you know why? 
Houston didn't approve the trade until after the Nuggets game started. Like, they were holding up the trade specifically so the Nuggets wouldn't get any guys. Oh. It but then if, if they held it up, then we should have gotten Beasley and Wancho, although that would be super awkward because, like, everyone knew they wouldn't be there anymore. That's the Ubaldo Jimenez situation where Malone's, like, pulling him out in the first quarter and, yeah. like, you guys are gone. Go away. <laughs> uh, that's super weird. But, yeah, so Nuggets ended, end up in Salt Lake City, a uh, place they hadn't won in since, like, 2014, I think. Yeah, before Malone got here. Yeah. No one on the Nuggets had ever won. Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe Barton, but no one else. So they... Another scheduled loss. Yeah, another scheduled loss. And they were playing like it uh-huh. and had seven guys. And then, this, well, and really, Conchar played himself out of the game because he <laughs> kept getting fouls. But they were able to come back, and they won 98-95 in one of the most delirious wins I can remember. Also, Harris was like 0 for 14 in the game. Yeah. Could not play. If that's so when you look at it, the Nuggets had like four and a half guys because uh Murray was hurt, Harris was atrocious offensively, and Vlatko Chanchar would not be playing in any way, shape, or form except for the fact that there was no other warm body to be on the court. And they had three point guards. Yeah. Because it was Dozier and Morris were the big stars. Yeah, <laughs> As an entirely improbable win by the Nuggets in a place that for so long has been horrible for them. Um, but luckily, as Utah Jazz fans would put it, the, the Jazz had just been absolutely stinking it up recently. Um, but the memes that came back, the gifts, and just the celebration – Seven dudes went into Salt Lake City and pulled off an improbable win. Like I couldn't imagine how mad the Jazz fans were, like leaving, walking down the stairs. Well, when Jokic hit the one-foot game winner, yeah, dude, there was just a Jazz fan in front who just got up and then just like put his head in his hands, and he couldn't believe it. It was great. It was so, it was so beautiful. And then just to round it out, um, they beat the Trailblazers, beat the Suns, and then in like their least impressive, impressive game of the week. We're way down, like 26 points down to the Spurs, came back and won mm-hmm. on Monday night. And now they play the Lakers tonight. The, yeah, the first place r- Lakers right before All-Star break. I have no expectations, but, like, Derek, is this a point where we have to change the narrative? Do we want to see the Nuggets, like, losing in the third quarter? Is that, like... Do we get I thought to be you were going to say, are the Nuggets a championship caliber team? Oh, I'm not ready for that conversation. I don't, <laughs> I'm don't. i not going to put that much on it. It's like, yes, I think we need to change the narrative, but I'm not ready. Can I feel confident in this team? I'm not saying championship, but can I feel confident? I mean, in the history of the Nuggets, whenever you feel confident, that's oh. when things go badly. Oh, you're right. Okay. S- speaking of, of things going badly, going poorly, Let's move on to the Rockies. Oh, right. so yeah, this is going to be a episode of <laughs> emotional roller coasters. Just up and down. Um, so Jeff Breidich reported to spring training yesterday. The media was told by the head of PR for the Rockies, Warren Miller, that Breidich would address the Nolan situation. So Patrick Saunders, Denver Post reporter, goes up to the press conference, and he's like, listen, Warren said you were going to talk about this for a minute, so I just wanted to say, like, what do you have to say about everything that's gone on with Nolan? Quoting Breidich, he said, 
Nothing. There is no comment. I haven't had any comment to this point, so we'll move past that. Next question. So, so <laughs> the Colorado Rockies PR guy was under the impression that he was going to talk about it. This wasn't an out-of-the-blue question. This was something that Breidich acted like it was the most ridiculous question. Everyone knew this was coming, and his response is to be somehow even worse about More the situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I... As an actor, Derek, I think you could work on some of your tone there because, quite honestly, you were way more concise with the way you read that quote than Breidich was. Yeah, Breidich sounded like he was talking to his mistress at dinner with his wife. He was like, nothing, there's no comment. I haven't had any comment (laughs) at this point. Like, just so evasive. He's sitting in front of... The press, whose only question about the Rockies right now is Nolan Arenado. Yeah. We, <laughs> what else could we talk about? Like, oh, you're signing of Drew Patera. How do you feel that's going to improve y- the chances? They went to arbitration with t- Tony Walters and didn't have to give him any more money, <laughs> which means they spent no money still on Major League players this offseason. <sighs> they did sign Yabaldo Jimenez to a tryout contract because they were like, you know what? This situation is bad enough. Let's bring the most disgruntled Rocky in history <laughs> back in and see what happens. Wait, so it was elevated because he was like a non-contract inviter, however they phrase it. But so now he's like moved up in the rankings? Oh, no, he's still non-contract. Oh, but okay. they like gave him a spring training contract. Oh. So they got to pay him like a little bit of money, but not really. But Ubaldo Jimenez, who has not pitched in the major leagues since 2018. 18? Yeah. And it's not like he went down to AAA. I think he's just like probably been chilling in the DR. Yeah, I mean he hasn't he hasn't been good in a while. He never really was a good starter again. He was sort of okay in relief. I saw him play a game in Seattle a few years ago, and it was just so painful to watch. Oh, that hurts. Just watching Seth Smith. It was just like Rocky's reunion. Seth Smith for the Seattle Mariners just beat up on Yubaldo <laughs> Jimenez for the Orioles. Um, so bad situation, and then. I actually don't even think we're going to want to spend that much time on this, but I'm just going to read the tweet. Uh, Les Shapiro, longtime Denver media person from Mile High Sports, tweeted this last night. Have two verified sources now, one close to Nolan Arenado, one close to the Cubs. Theo, Theo Epstein, GM of the Cubs, intends to continue pursuing a trade. Return in all likelihood would be Chris Bryant and a prospect with Rockies, picking up part of Nolan Arenado's money. I had to paraphrase that. Uh, Nolan is very unhappy with Breidich and the direction of the Rockies organization. I'm told he would warmly welcome a trade to the Cubs. The Cubs will continue to pursue this throughout spring training. The Cubs are also fearful that he could end up with division rival Cardinals. So, I mean, really, I'm happy to move on whenever, but I would just like to say, Breidich does have the mellow script lined up. He has the Cardinals and the Cubs competing for Nolan Arenado. <sighs> We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I feel this deserves a lot of heavy breaths for a second. <sighs> you know, I will accept that. Well, like for for a long time, Cubs fans like Chris Bryant is better than Nolan Arenado. Or like we have the best third baseman. We're like, shut up, Nolan Arenado is so much better. Chris Bryant would not be a terrible return for this fiasco. Save for the fact that like I know Chris Bryant does not want to end up in Denver, Colorado. And he's on an expiring contract. I don't know if it's this year or next year, but he's not on a long-term deal like Nolan. And Nolan may be the best third baseman in the history of Major League Baseball. 
and Chris Bryant is like the third best player on a Cubs World Series team, which I mean is a bigger deal because he's a Cub and Nolan Arenado's a Rocky. Like not really, but like he'll get into the Hall of Fame probably before Nolan. Somehow. Oh Jesus! Um, but well, Nolan, absolutely. Oh, you see so much Nolan, but like. Just picturing that future, the absolute worst thing in the world is thinking about any time the Cubs play the Rockies, how many Cubs fans there are. I kind of want to get a Cubs Nolan jersey out of spite. Like, if that's how they're going to do it, right? that's what I'm going to wear. Boy, that... Ugh. He'd make that team so good. He'd be so good for that team. I know. Because, like, the Cubs culture is... Not great, but a guy who was like, I'm just here to do work and be great. Oh, he could write that ship so well. I and mean, he would, it would be like baseball finally found its star if Nolan ended up in Chicago. A mm-hmm. Chicago player, he could be like on all the covers with Aaron Judge. It'll just be Aaron Judge, Nolan Arenado, faces a baseball. I know. Yeah. Cause you get, of course, you have your Yankee AL representatives. And. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, I don't have a lot of commentary besides just like the pure emotion of it. So we've talked about this like the last three episodes almost, I know. and the fact that Breidich still arrives at nothing, no comment. It's like, dude, you're a grown man with like responsibilities. You have to answer for something, don't you? Well, and just when Nolan leaves, what we're gonna be left with with Breidich is just terrifying. And Wait. Dick Monfort. Guaranteed 94 wins for the Rockies this year. Because some nerd on a computer was like, well, maybe if bling, 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 that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the situation is terrible. Nothing has happened. Wade Davis is still the closer. Yeah, for some reason they decided Wade Davis was the closer. Yeah, they're, I mean, this is, it's just going to be so bad. I already have tickets to four games, and I'm like, that might be enough for the whole. And I love going, like, Coors Field is my favorite place in the world. Yeah, well, as we've talked about, that's pro- part of the problem. It's yeah. so enjoyable, even if you don't care about the product on the field. And, um, you know, just, like, not much has happened. I do find it funny that the Rockies' the social media team has now been, like, super responsive to anyone who posts anything besides Fire Brightish. So, the, like, the algorithm makes it look like everyone's so happy. Oh, my gosh, Kyle Freeland, we love you. It's like, blah, blah, blah. The Rockies, oh, I want tell Dinger to say hello. And then you look at all of the most ranked comments, which are now low because the Rockies will like and respond to all of those fluffy yeah. comments. And underneath, it's like, fire bright, it's 100 likes. What is this team doing, 100 likes, but it's so far down the list of comments? It's so that, evasive. Uh, the Twitter job's open for the Rockies. Their, their main guy's leaving. So um, I thought about it for a couple minutes, and then I remembered that I had a whole campaign called Tear Down the Breidich Berry and realized they were never going to hire me. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, um, Rockies did pretty decent on their memes this year on Twitter. Yeah, they're great. I mean, they have the best Twitter account in sports probably, so I hope they continue that. Um, so the best championship odds team currently are the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, currently they are, according to 538, 12-1 to odds to win the Stanley Cup, which is tied for third best in the NHL. Top odds in the Western Conference. Mm. And it's been a great week. I just want to say that starting off with Nathan McKinnon, yesterday he was asked by the Canadian media, what do you think the weaknesses of your team are? And he was like, we have no weaknesses in my opinion. Like he's just dialed in, ready to take everyone down. The Avs have won eight out of nine games and sit one point back from the St. Louis Blues with a game in hand. They played one less game than the Blues. Mm. Mm. Rantanen 
had a great game last night against the Ottawa Senators. Dude, that was a beautiful goal. Spin around oh goal, God. and he was he had three or four plays that were almost that good. Didn't get end up in goals, but he's finally returned. He has not looked this good all year. That's amazing. Um, unfortunately, Nazem Kadri did get hurt, which does he's their second line center right now. Opens up the what are they going to do at the trade deadline because they might want another top six forward. Wow, it's just interesting how l- the trade deadline for the for NHL it just seems so far away. Like almost every other sport, well, like trade deadline before the All Star game, they've already had their All Star game, and then there's still like two weeks. Then they can trade, which like the biggest question uh, story was Taylor Hall, like a month and a half ago now. Yeah. It feels like forever ago, though. It feels like it was like October, but it was December. Yeah. So how do those story? How does the trade deadline storyline play out in the NHL since it? So it's takes usually. So, so it's going to be, the twenty fourth, uh, Monday. So that weekend will be very heavy. There will probably be a lot of transactions. The good thing about doing it later is, most teams know if they have a chance at the playoffs or not. Like you're looking at, a little over a month left in the season. Mm-hmm. So you know if your buyers are sellers. And so that opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, teams will get desperate. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't want the Avs to do too much. They don't need to do too much, which is crazy. Um, and I think you see over the next week if they can survive. Confer looked. Confer was on a line with uh, Landeskog and Donskoy last night, which was great. And if that can be end up being your third line, I actually think like maybe you think about going and getting someone else just because. That's such a good line. And then you'd have Kadri and Nachushkin and someone else. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, the Grubauer is finally looking good. And one thing, I was, I was at the game last night, and I was telling someone, like, Grubauer has not been great like he was last year, but he also hasn't had to be great because the Avs' defense is so much better than they were last year. Right now, Ryan Graves, who was thought to be the ninth-best defenseman in the system, is leading the league in plus-minus. If he ends the season like this, he would have the highest plus-minus since the lockout in 2004-5. Wow. And he's their fifth-best defenseman. Well, is that defense increased so much because of Makar, or is it... Some of it is Makar. Johnson and Cole have been a lot better than they were mm-hmm. last year. Uh, Zadora has been healthy. And Gerard has become a pretty good defenseman for how small he is, um, which has been fun to watch. And they have a lot more big guys on the forward side, and the forwards matter so much in defense and hockey. So, you know, you have more guys like Donskoy or Nachushkin. Jost is playing on the power penalty kill right now. That never would have happened last year. So they have a lot of guys that can do that. So it's good to see. I'm glad to see Grubauer is playing better. I do think he's going to have to come up with some big saves, but we'll see how that happens. Um, and, I mean, the Avs have been playing their best five hockey. They, were, they lost the first game of the coming back from the very long break to the Flyers, and now they've won five in a row. Ovechkin comes to town Thursday night. He's at 698 goals, mm. so, and he's had two hat tricks in the last few weeks. So 700 might happen on the Pepsi Center ice. So the whole hockey world will turn to Pepsi Center Thursday night and then turn to the Air Force Academy on Saturday for the outdoor game. It's hockey weekend in America, so a big... Hockey weekend. Uh, excited to see that. The Avs, the Kings are the worst team in the league right now. So the Avs might be able to just roll. I mean, the Red Wings are actually the worst team in the league. The Kings have been just as bad the last month or so. So a lot of excitement. I'm really excited to get into like 
this stretch. And like the Avs right now are a championship contending team. Okay, you you can commonly say that about the Avs at this the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, because Nathan McKinnon may be better than anyone else in the league right now. Jokic also might be better than anyone else in the league, but we can't say that for sure. We, I mean, just the the bar to reach for a basketball player to be named the best in the league is so difficult. But it feels, and I don't know enough about hockey to say the exact comparison, but it, McKinnon just does everything so right. And McDavid's hurt right now, which oh, also okay. is just like oh. argument over. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens the next the next couple weeks, and we'll uh, we'll be back next week mm-hmm. for more. Uh, I mean, the big storylines: who's going to be CU's coach? Is Nolan Arenado still a Rocky? who's on the avalanche and did the nuggets beat the Lakers, which will happen before this podcast gets aired. Yeah. Uh, until then I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. See you then.